Good morning, church. How y'all this morning? <clears throat> good, good. Um, it's good to be here uh, with you again. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, uh, my name is Matt Ortiz, and I would love it if you could introduce yourself to me after the service. I'd love to meet you and get to know you. Um, we're in a series on the uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at uh, what ends up being some really tough teaching from Jesus. And he's telling us what it looks like if we're going to follow him as king. And we've looked at some really difficult teachings so far, and this morning's teaching is no exception. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus addresses the topic of money. But as difficult as all of his teachings are, they're all meant to bless us. And again, this morning's teaching is no exception. You know, we live in a culture that says more. A culture that breeds consumption, that breeds greed. But the gospel cultivates generosity. The gospel cultivates sacrifice. Now, here's the truth. Whether it's happening now or not, or whether we realize it or not, we all have money problems. Amen? That's right. Problems that make us miserable, problems that can make others miserable. And Jesus wants to fix that. Money can be a, a tricky topic to discuss in church because there are no shortage, shortages of churches that have grossly abused and misused the funds that were donated. There is no shortage of, of pastors who falsely teach that if you give them your money, God will make you rich. Pastors that exploit their people, leverage guilt, and tap in and cultivate the greed in people's hearts. It's wrong. So Jesus knows we need good teaching when it comes to money. We need good teaching uh, that leads to true blessing. And here's the thing, whether directly or indirectly, Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. So if we're going to take following King Jesus seriously, we have to learn what he says about money. Jesus lovingly shows us how money can be a malicious master because it always wants to control us. But Jesus wants to bless us with true freedom. We're going to look at two main points, the problems with money and the solution to the problems. So let's take a look at the first one. We're going to camp out on this one a little bit. It's a little bit longer uh, than the, the next one. And uh, the first problem is that money takes over our hearts. In verse 19, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
So he's one treasure we lose. The other treasure we don't lose. One treasure is not secure at all. The other treasure absolutely is secure. And Jesus shows us that it's a heart issue that leads us to treasure the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And he says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants us, he's calling us, he's leading us to examine our hearts. To ask ourselves, have I given my heart to money and what it can get me? Or have I given my heart to Jesus and his kingdom? Jesus says, if I'm going to be your king, guess where your heart needs to be? We got to fix that. So if we're going to take Jesus seriously, we've got to ask questions like, what in the world does it mean to not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth? Does that mean that we, we shouldn't invest? Does that mean that we shouldn't be wealthy? Does that mean that we shouldn't have nice homes, cars, and clothes? Let's talk a little bit about what it does not mean, okay? Jesus is not saying we shouldn't own anything. He's not saying that, that we're supposed to be poor. Scripture shows followers of Jesus who were rich and followers of Jesus who were poor. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't invest in our future. We read Proverbs that praises the ant who stores food for the winter. And, and Paul says if we don't provide for our family, we're worse than an infidel. Jesus is not saying that we are to despise what God has given to us in creation for us to enjoy. And the Bible calls us to enjoy them and be grateful to God for his gifts. So then, what does do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth mean then? It means... Don't feed your selfishness by hoarding money and yearning for the stuff that it can get you, where that becomes a driving principle in your life. Don't feed your selfishness by hoarding money and yearning for the stuff that it can get you. Now remember, Jesus Jesus is not going after your money. He's going after your heart, okay? John Stott, in his, in his commentary, says, to lay up treasures on earth does not mean being provident, but being covetous, like misers who hoard and materialists who always want more. Jesus warns us that, that coveting earthly treasures is dumb and pointless. They don't last. We can't take them with us. Job from the Old Testament knew this when he said, I came into this world naked, and I'm leaving this world naked. I came in with nothing, I'm leaving with nothing. So here's another question. How can you tell if money's taken over your heart? Four things. First, you're always thinking about it. You're always dreaming about more money and what you can buy. Whether you're spending money for status and approval or saving it to be your supreme primary 
security, or you're constantly worrying about money, you're constantly losing sleep over money, you're constantly fighting with your spouse over money, money can take over your heart, whether you have a lot of money or no money. Second, money is taken over your heart if it affects how you view people and treat them. You envy those who have more. Or you look down on those who have less. You favor those who have more. You overlook those who don't as losers. Third, you're never satisfied. Constantly restless to get more. Constantly anxious because you have so little. Both are manifestations of discontentment. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content with a lot or with a little. To have Jesus, to have King Jesus at the center of our heart instead of money means to have contentment, to be at peace. Whatever we have or don't have. And last, money's taken over my heart if I'm not generous to God and others. Either because I don't feel like I have enough or because we're so focused on building and growing our, our finances. You know, our bank statements can be powerful indicators as to whether or not our hearts have been hijacked. Now, here's the thing. If you're broke right now, and this is just frustrating you, I'll address that in a bit, okay? I'm with you on that. Moving on in 1 Corinthians 13, Apostle Paul talks about three basic virtues when it comes to following Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in God, hope in God, love for God, and love for others. Is faith, hope, and love, they affect every area of our life, including giving and generosity. If I lack faith in, in God, I won't be joyfully and sacrificially generous because I question whether or not God's going to actually take care of me. If, if I lack hope in God, I, I get my worth and significance from the world by buying things that the world values so that they value me. And I, I put my hope in that, that that's what's going to give me significance and, and value. If I lack love for God and for other people, I won't be generous to them. And me saying that I love my neighbor is nothing more than just a sentiment. Faith in God, hope in God, love for God and others, or the lack thereof, will absolutely affect your view of money and will absolutely affect how you use it. Faith, hope, and love are just the basic marks of a, of a Christian, of someone who follows Jesus as their king. So, for those of you who are my brothers in Christ and my sisters in Christ, let me ask you. And I'm asking me too. Are you a generous, giving person? If, if, if we ask those who know you best, friends or whatever, 
would they describe you as, man, they are generous, giving people. When it comes to spending and saving, are you involving God in that? Are, are you talking to God about that? Are you asking, praying, asking God, God, what do you think about the way that I'm spending my money? What do you think about the way that I'm, that I'm investing your money? How, uh, what do you have to say about how I'm using it right now? Those are healthy questions to ask, questions that a follower of King Jesus would ask themselves. You know, Scripture talks about the basic minimum of giving as 10%. It's a tithe. That's what 10% is. So, Christians, and I'm asking myself here, um, in reality, if we were to take that 10% seriously, does that sound reasonable or unreasonable? It depends. Depending on the season of life we're in, sometimes it just seems just brutally unreasonable. I grew up in the church, and growing up, I did not have much money at all. So I didn't give to the church. The way I figured it, I supported the church just by showing up. My attitude was, you're welcome. I wasn't generous. Just this morning, little Christian um, Harshman, he's about this tall, cutest kid you ever seen, just blew me away with an expression of sacrificial generosity. Yeah, it was amazing. He, he's, he's ahead of me than, he's far ahead of me than I was when I was his age. He says something about the parents, huh? So when I got married, this is just personal testimony here. When I got married, Shannon had already developed uh, the habit of giving. So then when we got married, it just became part of her budget. She always gave to God first. And because of her... God blessed me with the joy of giving that I had not known before. It's amazing how God uses our spouse that way. So, again, by way of testimony, if this message is stressing you out, frustrating you, uh, let me tell you something. I get it. Life can be brutal sometimes. You can have brutal seasons. And I know that personally. So I'll tell you, good times, bad times. When Shan and I started out, we were able to give 10% of our gross income. Then later for a season, we were able to give 15%. I never knew that before. That was like the weirdest thing to me. And I grew up in a Christian home. And then God called us into a, a, a ministry where the circumstances were such that part of the calling that God had for us was to have, um, let's call it, an unpredictable income. Where paychecks became uh, less and less frequent. We couldn't give 
the way that we used to. And God discipled me in that season. And he showed me that some of the the, the poorest friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that we had were some of the most generous people in our church because generosity was just the way they lived. They were just constantly looking for ways to be generous. Someone gave them food, they set some aside to give somebody else. You know, that's just what they did. They got creative with it. And I learned from them. God discipled me in that. And then God brought us to a new chapter in our life. Our finances got all straightened out. Everything was going great. Everything. We were able to start giving financially again. I had forgotten how good that felt. Before it was like, this is unreasonable. Fine. Cheerful giver. Yeah, right. To... This is awesome. I haven't been able to do this in forever. And it was a a fun season in our life. That season didn't last. You know, we all know after a while, Shannon got clobbered with a series of extremely serious medical crises on top of her fibromyalgia condition. And the direct expenses and indirect expenses have been astronomical, like nothing I ever imagined or dreamed. That was just part of God's call on our life. So if you're sitting there struggling financially, I understand. We get each other, okay? I'm right there with you. And so I can say to all of us, including me, God still wants us, calls us to be, created us to be generous. No matter what. You might need to be a little creative. But he's called us to be generous and use whatever it is that we do have. We are constantly looking for that. And guess what? This is exactly what my wife Shannon does. She looks for ways to be generous, and she is always somehow giving, somehow supporting, somehow serving people, sometimes from her bed with her phone. You can't stop her. Here's the other thing, and this is a tough lesson. As tough as things might be, for you financially right now. And even if you're doing well, either or, we need to deliberately evaluate how we spend our money and how we use our money. I know when things are tough, financial burdens crushing, I know how ironically easy it can be to maybe thoughtlessly Spend money on things that bring a bit of fun or a bit of comfort or a bit of a break when the financial pressures are relentless and crushing. Even in that, God's calling us to evaluate what are we turning to for our peace? What are we turning to you know, for our comfort? I'm not saying that we can't enjoy the things God's blessed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying let's deliberately evaluate it. 
God wants to bless us with peace. God wants to bless us with contentment. God wants us to know that he is in absolute control no matter what happens. And he could be trusted. He is enough. He is still gracious. We can still rest in him. We can still be grateful for that, that Jesus continues to draw us to himself for peace. And here's the thing. When we struggle in this area, we don't talk about it. I've had more, I've had more people confess to me and it's kind of a regular thing. I've had more people confess to me uh, about uh, falling in the area of pornography than talk about their finances. We keep that, that's, maybe I'll talk about pornography, but my finances, that's off limits. But then we don't help each other grow in that. We don't benefit uh, from the community that God surrounded us with. It's something that, that's so critical that can be a malicious master that can enslave us. And we don't talk to the community that God's provided uh, for us to, to help us to grow in that and experience freedom and contentment and peace. It's, it's counterintuitive. That's why, that's why we need brothers and sisters to pray with, to talk to, to share our hearts with. I know how easy it is to keep it private. I was wondering whether or not I should you know, share my testimony about this. We can't afford to be private about it. So that's just the first problem. Money takes over our hearts. Second, money takes over our sight. In verse 22, Jesus gives us a metaphor, and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus is warning us that money has a tendency to take over our sight. It blinds us, and since it blinds us, it's hard for us to see how and when money can lead us into sin. Earlier, when Jesus addressed, when he addressed our anger, when he addressed adultery, when he addressed lying, it's a little bit easier to know that we've messed up when it comes to those. But when it comes to, to greed, when it comes to money, when it comes to looking to money for our comfort, or when it comes to looking to money for, to be our security, it's a little bit more difficult for us to see that. I mean, we don't think of ourselves as, as greedy, lavish, or, or, or materialistic. And the reason is because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. We can always find someone else who's going to have a lot more than what we do. And when we compare ourselves to them, we see that relatively speaking, we have so much less. There's no way that we're greedy. Because look how much less I have than that person. We could have a roof over our head and food in the fridge and we can still convince ourselves that we don't have enough. So how can we tell if we become blinded by money? I'll mention three things here. First, others will see in you what you can't, which is why we need community and we can't afford to be private about this. Others can see in you what you can't. 
If you think, I don't have a problem with money, I don't have a problem with generosity, you're wrong. You know how I know you're wrong? Because you're not perfect. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can anybody here claim that they're perfect when it comes to generosity? None of us can. But it's hard for us to see. It's hard for us to have a self-awareness. We all have talked to people who have a certain lack of self-awareness. Maybe every time they talk to you, uh, they get this close to you. They're close talkers. And they have horrendous breath. And they don't know. But you do, right? Other people can see what's going on better than we can see for ourselves. Whatever it is, we need community to help us see. Jesus says that's what money does with our hearts. None of us see it. It blinds us. But others see it. I mentioned before, I mentioned last night when I got to preach at Kaleo, Kaleo Church. Um, that a little while ago, I, I learned, I didn't know, but my eyesight was getting worse. My wife let me know. Apparently I wasn't rinsing the dishes as thoroughly as I used to. So I went into the eye doctor. They told me I had astigmatism. I don't know that lingo. I thought astigmatism was two words. Astigmatism. So when I found out it's a condition called astigmatism. And so when the doctor told me I had astigmatism, I was thinking, I'm glad I don't have two stigmatisms. <laughs> Imagine your eyesight is going. You go to the doctor. Doctor tells you, you have cataracts. So you go up to the mirror. You look around. I don't see no stinking cataracts. You know why you can't see your stinking cataracts? Because you have stinking cataracts. That's why you can't see it. In Luke 12, Jesus says, watch out against all forms of greed. And he says, watch out because he sees we're about to hit something or stumble over something. Watch out against all forms of greed. We miss it so easily. We stumble over it because it's difficult to see. Second, money blinds us in decisions about work. You pick a, you pick a career because the money sounded good, uh, but then you get into it and you hate it. You hate the work. You hate the hours. You regret that you moved to a new city for the job, away from family, away from your church, away from your friends. Money blinded you when you made the decision. And if you're a business owner, do you ever ask yourself, is this helpful for human flourishing? Does this exploit people or hurt people? Is this business good for the neighborhood, good for the city? Is it good for the environment? Money can blind us from asking these questions when you're just focused on the profit margin. And third, money blinds us in our lifestyle choices. We live in a culture where there's always newer, better, shinier, faster, whatever. We chase it, constantly upgrading, and it's pushing and extending limits of our income. 
So one of the healthiest things we can do is to regularly evaluate how we're spending our money. To look at your budget or look at your statements and ask questions like, am I spending too much on clothing? Am I spending too much on this car? Am I spending too much on gadgets? Am I spending too much for this thing that brings me comfort, whatever it is? Am I spending too much on, on convenience, whatever it is? Could I live differently and be more generous and give more away? Every single one of us needs to grow in this, including me, but it's easy to not think about. It's easy to avoid because money so easily blinds us. So those are the problems. And they're serious problems. Money can take over our hearts, take over our sight. Jesus says it can be a master and a malicious master. So what's the solution? Verse 24, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The scriptures teach us that every single one of us has a master, a center from which we derive our hope and meaning. It's what we treasure. Jesus says we cannot have two centers. And when money becomes our center, it is tied to a whole host of underlying issues. If you crave approval, you turn to money to make yourself look good. If you crave security, you will build a savings without being generous. If you crave power and status, you'll use money to get your way. If you crave pleasure, you'll, spill, you'll spend money to feel good right now. And money's become our master. A malicious master that can control us. I mean, we say that our money's going to serve us. We want our money to serve us, but so often that gets turned around. That we end up serving the money. Instead of owning money, the money owes us. It drives us. Our cravings for it fills us with discontentment and anxiety. So what's the cure then? The cure for our hearts and the cure for our sight. Jesus must be our ultimate treasure. Our supreme treasure. Our primary treasure. The Apostle Paul says, Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge it is in Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are his. And then Peter says, now to you who believe, Christ is precious. That can be translated as Christ is your preciousness. Ultimate treasure. So let me ask you, do you treasure Jesus supremely? Above everything else, above everyone else, do you treasure him supremely? Don't answer yes too quickly. Because I think it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. Like, oh, yeah, of course I do. But what does your life say? 
right? What does our heart say? I ask because here's the thing. It's possible for us to emphatically say, I believe in Jesus, but to ultimately treasure other things more than Jesus. We're called to love Jesus more than anything else and anyone else, to be swept up in his love for you, to be swept up in his loyalty to you so that, that you love Jesus and are loyal to Jesus above all else. Otherwise, you'll never feel secure. You'll always be worried. We'll always be discontent. And Jesus wants the best for you. So how does Jesus become our treasure? Is it just by trying really hard? Well, there's such thing as godly zealousness. But to treasure Christ, you have to see, to have that zeal, you have to see why Jesus came to us. Jesus, for all time, had all treasure. He had all glory. He had all power. He had riches beyond measure. He had status beyond all measure, respect beyond all measure. He was the king of the kings and lord of lords for all time. He had beauty and wealth beyond all imagination. And he left it all to come to us. He left it all to be with us. He left it all to be for us. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. When he was born, his bed was a feeding trough. When his parents presented baby Jesus at the temple, they offered up two young Pigeons, offerings given by the poorest of people. As a man, he lived without a home. He stayed at someone else's place. He had nowhere of his own to lay his head. He only had one garment. And when he dies, he dies naked and with nothing. He's even buried in a borrowed tomb. He left everything all for us. And because of that, Peter now says, here's who you are. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is who you are. You know what this means? That because of Jesus... Because of the gospel, you are God's possession, God's treasure. He's the creator of the universe. What do you give someone who has everything? He wants you. And we see how much he treasured you when you look to the cross. I mean, it blows my mind. And so how can we give our hearts to Jesus? How can we serve God and not money? When you see Jesus Christ, who was rich, become poor for us, when you see him dying with nothing and losing absolutely everything for you, when you see him making you his treasure, then you will become, Jesus will become your treasure. That's the only thing 
that will pull our hearts away from the other things that we love in this world. And here's what will happen. When Jesus becomes your supreme treasure, you'll be content. Money will just be money. We'll stop losing sleep over it. We'll stop worrying about it. Stop fighting about it. We'll stop chasing, chasing it. If you find that, that, that you lose sleep, worry about it, fight about it, chase after it, those are like the, the red warning lights on your dashboard. Something's wrong. Don't ignore it. When it comes to your time, talents, and treasure, you will find yourself increasingly serving and giving away. Not just sacrificially, but joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And you will begin to experience the truth that it is really better to give than to receive. And when you lose money, everything's going great. And all of a sudden, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. When you're not making budget, it doesn't crush you. You don't beat yourself up. You don't rage against your spouse. When you think about spending and, and giving, more and more you involve God in that. You'll talk to God about your money and your spending. Brothers and sisters, these are just a few things that happen when Jesus becomes your supreme treasure, your ultimate treasure. The gospel transforms you. The gospel transforms your heart. The gospel transforms your understanding of money. The gospel transforms how you use your money. I'll close with this. Jesus' teaching here on money is tough, right? It's tough to hear. It's tough to preach. But I also know that God's word stands above me. God's word stands above all of us. And while all the challenging things shared today flow out of this passage, this passage flows right into the gospel of God's grace. And it's his gospel that renews absolutely everything, even our approach and our understanding of money. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your immeasurable generosity to us. God, we thank you that you're patient with us. We thank you that you remind us over and over and over again that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you regularly remind us that that we can have peace and comfort and security in you in ways that this world can never provide, and yet we still look to the world to provide it. God, I pray that you'd give us sight, that you'd give us eyes to see how good and generous you are, and that you'd fill our hearts with faith, hope, and love, that our faith, hope, and love uh, in you and for you would would radically transform every area of our life, including our, our money, so that we will not be crushed 
by the malicious master that money can be, but that we would be filled with peace and experience, true freedom that you have for us in Christ. God, I pray that in the struggles that we have when it comes to our finances, that yet we would still look to you and be discipled by you that we'd regularly examine our hearts and be encouraged by you in your grace, in your generosity to us, whether we have a lot or a little. Help us to be content because you are enough. And so God, I pray on my behalf and behalf of the church that you'd forgive us for not examining our hearts more carefully for staying way too private about this and justifying it. We pray that you would put loved people who love you and love your gospel and love us in our, in our lives to help us uh, to be able to evaluate uh, some of the most private matters so that we can experience uh, your, the freedom that you provide for us as together in community we remind each other of, of the glories and grace of Jesus. God, thank you that, that you're not after our money, but you're after our hearts. May we be more preoccupied with that than anything else. And fill our hearts with a fierce loyalty for you and an overwhelming love for you. And we pray these things in your name.